Transforming lives into legacies. Live in word with Pastor Mensah Otobiel. And now, today's word. I'm doing part four of my series. I've titled Living in Expectancy. Living in Expectancy. We've talked a lot about living in expectancy that each one of us have something we want in our lives. It's, it's something we're expecting to happen. Uh, and most of the time, it's good. We want good things for ourselves. We want a good life. We want to be uh, blessed financially. We want to be healthy. We just sang, he's able to do much more than we can ever ask or think. That is scriptural. That's expectation. But expectations don't always happen. There are things we have to do so that our expectations uh, become a reality. And today I'm talking about fighting for it, fighting for your expectation. If you have an expectation, you want God to do something for you, you're looking forward to something great in your life, it's not going to land in your laps by accident. You have to learn to fight for it. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures that will position our minds on how we fight for our expectations. Let's begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we'll be reading verses 8 and 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. And it reads, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. At the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he was in Ephesus. And so from Ephesus, he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he tells them in the process about something that is happening to him in Ephesus. So although the letter at this point of the letter, he's talking to the Corinthians, he's referencing something that is happening in Ephesus. And it's always important to understand the context within which passages in the Bible are written so that you can properly understand and position it well. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians, but he's writing about something happening to him in Ephesus. And he says he will stay there in Ephesus and wait until the Feast of Pentecost before he would make other plans. And so Paul describes the situation in Ephesus, and what does he say? He says, first thing, that a door has opened to me. He's saying, I have access. We have access. We have opportunity. The Greek word that he uses to describe the opportunity is a powerful door. A powerful door has opened. He's saying, Something powerful has opened to me. Can you imagine when you're living in your life, you come to a point in your life, and you just feel something big. These days we say, something mega has happened to me. A great door, a powerful door, an effective door has been opened to me. And may the Lord open effective doors unto you. You know, there are moments in our lives when you just feel a door has opened. You just feel something is working great for me. God has opened a door. And that's what Paul is saying. In Ephesus, 
He says, a great and a mighty door has opened. Now you need to understand what is happening to Paul in Ephesus to understand why he talks about this. Because if you look at Acts chapter 19, which records Paul's stay in Ephesus and a bit into chapter 20, uh, but chapter 19, verse 11 and 12 of Acts, Acts 19, 11 and 12, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. This is happening in Ephesus. That's what Paul is saying. Things are happening. Miracles are happening. Powerful door. Powerful ministry. There are moments in our lives when we feel that. I don't know whether you've been there. You just feel you are in a good place. I'm in a good place. Things are happening right. Things I have always expected are beginning to happen. And so Paul is saying, Corinthians, Ephesus is good for me because these mighty things are happening. And then he adds something else. But he says, and there are many adversaries, opposers, conflicts. In the midst of this great time of ministry, Paul speaks of opposition. Who are these adversaries? What is Paul talking about? Now, for you to get the context of what he's talking about, the same Acts chapter 19, where the Acts of the Apostles is recording his activities in Ephesus, just from verse 24, Acts 19, 24 onwards, it says, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no profit, small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised. Verse 28, now when they had heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion. And later on, they started attacking Paul's companions. So what, what is happening here? Paul says, a great door has opened. What's happening? Mighty miracles. Then he says there are adversaries. Who are the adversaries? He describes one of them, Demetrius. Who is Mr. Demetrius? Mr. Demetrius is a coppersmith. He makes images of the chief deity of Ephesus. The chief deity of Ephesus, the chief goddess of Ephesus is Artemis or Diana. And they make images of it just like people carve images at the art center. And people who go to Ephesus, everybody goes to buy the gods, uh, the, the images of Diana. Demetrius is the main producer of this. So he calls all the craftsmen who make these idols and say, hey, 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 hey. 
Business is under threat. This Paul is spoiling our business. And not only here in Ephesus, but everywhere he goes, he's telling people that gods made with man's hands are useless. So nobody's buying our gods again. So let us go out and get rid of Paul. So Paul says, a door has opened. But there is Demetrius. There are many adversaries. And not only Demetrius is an adversary, there are other adversaries who are the seven sons of Sceva. Other people trying to imitate Paul's ministry and throwing confusion in the minds of people. So Paul recognizes in the midst of my expectation being met, there are adversaries. Because believe you me, your breakthrough is somebody's breakdown. Your joy is somebody's sadness. And the person is not going to fold his hand and say, oh, hallelujah, he's doing well. Let me encourage him. They will come after you. And don't be surprised that sometimes your greatest adversary shows up when the greatest door is open. The door has opened. There are many adversaries. What are you going to do when in the midst of your breakthrough, you have harsh responses. Now, this is where a lot of people abandon their expectations. Too much trouble. They expect life to be smooth sailing, life to be problem free, that when their things are going on, everybody will rejoice with them. So, in the midst of your breakthrough, in the midst of the joy, in the midst of God's favor, in the midst of all the good things happening, expect Demetrius is going to show up. Sometimes Demetrius shows up in your office. Sometimes Demetrius shows up in your marriage. Marriage is getting on well. Everything, oh, this is the best time of our marriage. And then Demetrius shows up. Lady Demetrius or Madame Demetrius, or Mr. Demetrius shows up. So, our expectations are always surrounded with battle, warfare. And you have to be ready to fight for it. Somebody say, I'm going to fight for it. Now, many of us know how to fight against things, but we don't know how to fight four things. We know how to fight against enemies. And in Ghana, you know, our enemies are very simple, witches and wizards. We know how to fight against them, but most of us don't know how to fight for the things that we want, for our expectation, for the good things that God has given to us. So I'll take you to another scripture uh, and to show you how to fight for the things that God has given to you. We go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 23 is talking about a group of people called David's mighty men. And these are great warriors who stood with David uh, before he became king. They gathered around him and fought with him and uh, also when he became king, they fought pro to protect him. 
And the Bible enumerates them. And in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, it talks about a particular uh, person among David's mighty men and what he did. And I want you to listen carefully. From verse 11, and after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he, Shammah, stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Shama is a, is a warrior. Incidentally, his name Shama means desert or dry place. But his life is not dry. His life is very exciting and is very fruitful. And Shama is attacked. The event took place most likely during the time of harvest in Israel. Shama and his friends are expecting a great harvest, and then the enemy shows up. At the time when they feel, I've worked so hard, I've planted, I've waited, it's the harvest season, I'm going to reap my harvest, the Philistines show up. And they said, no, 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 you're not going to take what you have worked for, we're going to take it from you. So the Philistines come to attack. And we see how Shama responds. Many times when we go through difficulty, we ask, why? Why am I going through this? Why the attack? Why, why was Shama attacked? Why did the Philistines come against him? Is it because he was a, he's a handsome man? Maybe he was. Why was he attacked? And the passage shows us why. First, we are attacked because we are different. We are different. There are people who are Philistines. And the Philistines are against the Israelites because the Israelites are a different people. The word Philistine literally means a people of another tribe. In social commentary, a Philistine is one who is hostile and ignorant especially in the arts. In the Bible, it is used for people who are not on God's side. One thing you're going to rest assured in, if you are a born-again Christian, people will hate you for nothing. It comes with the terrain. The day you said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior, you enlisted into God's army, and instantly you had automatic enemies. Years ago, I wasn't even a pastor then. I was in a Christian fellowship. And one of the young ladies in the fellowship, you know, uh, came to me and says, you know, Brother Mesa, you know, I don't, I don't want to be in the devil's bad books. And I said, what do you mean by that? I said, I, he said, I don't want the devil to hate me. I said, then don't get born again because he hates you for giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. For your information, you are in the devil's bad books. For your information here, you are in the devil's bad books. I see you are not happy. 
You don't want to be in the devil's bad books. But you don't ever consider that you are also in God's good books.